0: encouraging us with the thoughts of the trumpet sounding just like the scriptures tell us to. Mark chapter number one. Mark chapter number one. Does anyone need a handout this morning? That's Matthew's job back there. And so he forgot all about that. And uh Cruz is gone for a month and so it's a month, isn't it? Just about. Yeah. So Matthew's supposed to be our usher back there and he's just sitting in his normal seat. we're gonna have to remind him. I'm gonna put a, a tag around your neck when you show up. That way you remember. And Caroline, you're going to have to remind me to put the tag around his neck. So, anyone need one to slip your hand up, we'll get that to you. And uh, if that's a full paper, that's not the one that's it. It has something about the book of Mark, follow me. And uh, I think a few in the side room. Or Anthony's getting that over there. Someone's trying to. All right. Maybe they used them all up in the side room. We had a good crowd, first service in this service. Maybe some people felt they can come back because the Supreme Court said they could. I don't know. So, I just go to church because Jesus tells me I should. So that's my reason behind it. And uh, good thing. Mark chapter number 1. I'm going to give you a little illustration this morning of life. Pretend this is your life right here. This little jar. And what we do with life is, you think about We take. we fill our days with everything we fill our days with what we're going to eat, what we're going to do, what we're going to do at work. We fill it with school. We fill it with everything. What we do is we take our life and we just fill it. And then what we do is we have some spiritual things in our life and the problem is we've already filled the life up and we got some spiritual things and ooh, there's not enough room. You know, I don't have enough time in my day to read my Bible. I don't have enough time to pray. I'll just, uh, I'll stick the spiritual, is there enough room? I'll stick some spiritual where I can on top of everything. This is how most Christians live their life. They're filled with everything else and they leave the spiritual for what's left. Jesus taught a different way. We look this morning at Mark chapter number 1, and let's read these verses starting in verse number 35 and say, well, how's it supposed to be? That's the, end of, that's the cliffhanger till the end of the sermon this morning. At the end, I'll show you how it's supposed to be. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him, and when they had found him, they said unto him, All men, seek for thee. As in, where have you been? Don't you know people are waiting for you? What were you thinking? That was in the English there. that's The Greek has it hidden there too. It says, And he said unto them, Let us go into the next city, next town, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Father, bless the next few minutes we have this morning. We need your help this morning, bless the message, and I pray all that's said and done would bring you honor and glory this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If I were to summarize my sermon in one sentence, we need to prioritize a place for prayer in our lives and preach the gospel in all places. That would be my sentence of the entire sermon. As we go through this morning, you're going to see several things, but as we look, I love being able, and one of my favorite aspects about the Gospels is the fact that we get to see how Jesus lived his life, and see how we can take that into our lives, and how we can apply it. So I see four things about Jesus found in these verses I want to give you this morning. I'll give you some thoughts, give you application at the end, and then I'll finish up my cliffhanger illustration here. And some of you are like, Pastor, I already know the answer to that illustration. If you already know the answer to it, start living it then. And then we'll all be in good shape because I don't live it enough. We need to live it. So you'll see it at the end here. We see number one this morning, we need to start our day with prayer. We simply need to start our day with prayer. Now let's think for a minute here. Jesus was busy. Just think about the last two weeks of sermons that we've gone on Sunday mornings. Think about what happened. Think about Jesus' Sabbath day. So on the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue, and in the synagogue, he preached. Now, how many of you in this room have ever preached a 30-minute message before or taught a 30-minute lesson? A few of you have. It wears you out. You, I, I have heard, and I don't know if it's true, but I've worked very physical jobs throwing boxes and loading trucks, doing all those things. I hear that preaching a 45-minute sermon is equivalent to an eight-hour workday. That's how tired you get. I believe it's true. Sunday night, I'm worn out. I call it Monday morning. It's the Monday hangover is what I have. The spiritual good hangover, okay? Not what some of you are thinking that you had yesterday, okay? But, no, I hope you didn't have that yesterday. But... Jesus went into the synagogue and he preached, but not only did he preach, he had a guy get up in the middle of the service and start acting up. He cast out a devil. He was tired after being done at the synagogue. You know, after Sunday morning, I preach two services. When I'm done and leading, singing, doing all that, when I'm done, I do two things. The first thing I do is I run home. Literally, I run home. I get my exercise in right after church and get that done. So I wait till the evening, I'm going to be too tired. But then, you can ask Caroline, I sit in the recliner at home. That's literally, for a couple hours Sunday afternoon, after I'm done, I just sit. The kids can sit on my lap, they can come talk to me. You have the, on the, online, you have the thing on this side now, don't you? I got to remember that, I keep thinking the things over here, so I got to sit over here so the people online can still see me when I do that. And so, I sit, and I just relax, maybe I'll turn on a football game for a little bit, Maybe, but I'll have my iPad there working on my Sunday night sermon. That's the way it goes. And I'll have a little bit of time to sit and relax. I'm sure that Jesus, when he was done at the synagogue, just wanted to go rest. He leaves the synagogue. He walks to Peter's house. When he gets to Peter's house, Jesus, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. You really should help her. The Bible says everyone in the house said this. So everyone's telling Jesus this. And so what does Jesus do? He heals her. That's a lot of work on the Sabbath day. It gets to nighttime, just dark. Remember, they couldn't go about and do whatever they wanted on the Sabbath because they were supposed to rest. So the Bible tells us that when it was night, that the whole town came to Peter's house. And that whole town came to Peter's house because they wanted to see Jesus. Maybe they wanted him to heal them. Maybe they wanted him to cast out. So we do not know. And the Bible says that They kept coming. All the city, Capernaum, this is a big city. So several hours into the night, people are coming to Peter's house and Jesus is ministering to them. You minister to people very long and you're wiped when you're done. Jesus is tired. You would think that this coming Sunday morning, for Jesus, he would have just said, no alarm today. No alarm, I'm going to sleep in and get some rest. Because the people were going to come back. They knew who he was. He was famous. But what does Jesus do? Look what it says. And th- it says in verse 25, and in the morning, rising a great while before day. He had a packed Saturday. And it says, a great while before day. You think about this here. And when we look at this, we think of three things when it comes to Jesus' prayer life. Number letter A is this it was a planned time. Jesus had a planned time to pray. It says, a great while before day. That's exceedingly early. The time reference, when you think about this, it's around the fourth watch, 3 to 6 a.m. in that time. He had to have planned to pray at that time. I and I've told the Lord before. I don't pray it all the time. I'll say, Lord, you want me to pray tonight? Wake me up. And there are times he does. You better if you tell the Lord something like that. You better follow through and pray after that. There is something, and I'm not, I'm not one of those that's big on feelings and all those different things. But if you've ever prayed through the night, and I'm not going to ask you who has, who has, not there's been several times I have. I've it's probably more times I should do it than what I do it. There is something very special from the three to six o'clock time about praying at that time. You say, oh, Pastor, that's a special time for me too. I'm tucked in my bed from cover to cover. I get that, but there is something special about that time in prayer. And I would just suggest to you sometime, try it and see. And, uh, but it was a plan time. Church, we need to plan to pray. We see something the Bible's big on praying in the morning as well. That's a, throughout the scripture. We think about Psalm five verse number three, "My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord, in the morning, will I direct my prayer unto thee?" and we'll look up. Psalm 119, verse 147. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried, I hoped in thy word. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4 and 5. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. You see that right there. When we pray early in the day, what it does is God gives us our marching orders for the day. One of the things that, a um, new thing that I do, I'm a chaplain with the police department. Every shift begins, like the morning shift begins technically at 7, but they start at 6 because they've got to be briefed for the day. they got to, if there's people that they're looking out for, or certain situations going on, or they're going to take over for a different officer, or whatever happens, they have a time of briefing. It just gets them a plan for how they're going to attack the day. That's what prayer is for us. When you wait till you're halfway through your day to pray, you, we need the Lord all throughout our day to guide us. The steps of a good man, they're ordered by the Lord. We need the Lord's help in, these, in this area. And church, we need to seek him in the morning. Now, you could be like, how many of you are morning people in the room? Would you sinners raise your hand? Yep, there's some sinners in the room. How many of you are not morning people? How many of you are late night people? Me. How many of you are not morning or night people? You're just in between. You take naps through the day, whatever the case may be. You still go to bed at eight o'clock at night. I go to bed at eight o'clock at night, and I don't get up till nine o'clock in the morning, and I nap at four in the afternoon. And uh, I'm that's I I function better at night. That's me. So uh, the other night I was working on sermons, went to bed at 30 I got a call from the police department about a death that I had to go help someone. At four o'clock. And so we'll just say at four o'clock, the brain for me is not quite working yet. Some of you, four or five in the morning, you just thrive early morning. That's not me. I'm not telling you, and this is someone taught me this a long time ago, and let this be a help to you. I do not pray for an hour in the morning. I do not. Because I'll just go back to sleep. I the longer time I pray each day is I'm most alert and I can give God my very best. It's so, but do you say, do you pray? Before my feet hit the floor, I pray. Some mornings it's five or ten minutes. Some mornings it turns into an hour because I go back to sleep, and it's amazing. I have a sweet hour of prayer in and, and five minutes. But no, sometimes it's two minutes, but I pray in the morning. The Bible talks about, and you can look at other passages of Scripture to pray at morning and at noon and at evening. I try my best to have three times I pray Short prayers, not full. And then I have one time during the day, I get the best time to God. Because i got to be awake. I was taught growing up the opposite. In the morning, you need to pray in the morning. And then in Bible college, I'm praying and I'm sleeping. Because I worked half the night and it's just not, morning was not my time. So yes, you need to pray all throughout the day and pray without ceasing. But if morning's not your time, start your morning with prayer be short, whatever the case may be, but give God the best time during the day. We're going to talk about that later. It's amazing what happens when you prioritize the things of God over your own priorities. And that might have to do more with that. We'll talk about it in a little bit. But Jesus, it was planned. Letter B, he was private. You notice the Bible tells us here, and in the morning rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. The word solitary is the same word used for wilderness, which means lonely and deserted. Bible tells us in Luke 5.16, and he withdrew himself in the wilderness and prayed. He had a spot. Let me ask you this morning, do you have a private place where you pray? I've got places all over that I pray. Do you have a spot though? Do you have places you can go where you aren't going to get interrupted? I don't know if you saw it, probably three or four years ago, there was a movie put out, War Room. you never seen War Room? I suggest you watch that movie. That lady just knew how to pray, and she had her closet. She literally used a closet. And maybe you need to use a closet. Maybe you need to use, I don't know what the case may be. But Jesus had a private place that he went. I've got places all over that I pray. When I'm here at church, giving away some of my secrets right now, I pray right here. This is my spot. If there's people in the building doing things, I curl up next to the pulpit underneath it and I pray right there. In my office, I've got a spot. At home, I've got five or six spots. We have a closet. It's a big closet, so there's some room in there. Right next to my bed in the morning or still laying in bed right there. And then I got a little spot next to all four of my kids' beds that I pray every night before I go to bed. I pray for them and God to work in their life. And I love hiking There's a spot up at Mount Baldy, and a while back I took Caroline up there. She got to see I have a spot I go to, and it's probably my favorite prayer spot of all. And the reason why it's my favorite, the cell phone doesn't work. (laughs) I cannot be bothered. And you say bothered, I can't be gotten a hold of during that time. It's not a bother. But that's, you know, in Jesus' day there was no Facebook, there was no cell phone. But he withdrew himself and found a place. Why? To remove all the distractions. And so we see that it was a planned time. It was also a private thing. And may I just encourage you this morning, you need, to, you need to pray privately. I'm all for it. in couples. I think it would be a good thing for you to pray together. I'm all for people praying in church and corporately praying, and doing all those things. But you got to be able to pray to God yourself. That's why we worship, I love worshiping with all of us together in a service. But I love my worship during the week when it's just me and God alone. It might not sound very good, but he says to make a joyful noise. So if that's a joyful noise to him, that's fine. But we got to learn, as was, we look, it was a planned time. It was a private time. There's also letter C as a prolonged time. The phrase there, in Ver- it says, He departed into a solitary place and it says, and there prayed. That means that he continued in prayer. And Luke 6, 12 tells us that there were times where Jesus prayed all night long and he prayed. You gotta think about this, we need prayer. We need to spend time with God. The, one of the greatest tools that God has given us as Christians is prayer. I mentioned on Wednesday night, I mentioned to the teenagers on Wednesday in chapel that we look at the armor of God that we put on, right? Most of the armor of God is defensive. You have the shield to watch out for the fiery darts of the wicked one. you got the breastplate of righteousness. you got the helmet of salvation. You have those things. It's a defense. There are two things that God gives us to move forward. He gives us the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and then the next verse says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching there with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Sometimes we don't throw prayer into the armor of God, but it's right there at the end. How we move forward for the Lord is through our, the word of God and through prayer. We need to pray. We need to spend time with God. It's very important. Did you realize that, you think about this. Why did Jesus need to pray? He's God in the flesh. God the Son. But look what Jesus said in, in John chapter 5, verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself But what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. If Jesus needed to pray, we need to live in prayer. If he knew the need and he prayed, and even after a busy day like he had and all that he did, he just found some time to get alone with God and spend time with God. Christians, we need to get time with God. You know, couples I mentioned, your need to date one another, that's, that's a wonderful thing, and you need to. But Christians need to learn to get alone with God. It doesn't have to be all, whatever the case may be, it just needs to be you and God, and you talking to God and spending time with Him. Perhaps you think, my life's too busy, i got too many things, there's no time to pray. Then there's a problem with your priorities. D.L. Moody said it like this years ago, we ought to see the face of God every morning before we see the face of man. If D.L. Moody lived in 2021, he would word it just a little bit differently. This is how he would word it, and I know he would. We ought to seek the face of God before we see Facebook. The gist of it, before you do anything, you need to come before the throne of God above and talk to your Heavenly Father. That's what Jesus did. Um, Early African converts to Christianity were known for their earnest prayer and their regular devotion in private. Each one supposedly, or reportedly, had a separate spot in the thicket where they would pour out their heart before God. Over time, the paths where they would be, the grass would quit growing so much because they had stepped and trampled and, knelt in these places and as a result if a believer would neglect prayer it was apparent to the others because the grass started growing underneath that patch and then they would kindly remind one another hey brother or sister the grass grows on your path which means you're not growing in your christian walk how's the grass in your path today when's the last time you spent time with god start your day with prayer the first thing we see with jesus number two stamp your life with faithfulness not popularity this goes against the world's way of doing things stamp your life with faithfulness not popularity peter and his peers and the other disciples kind of sensed the fact that jesus had become very popular People were coming from all over. You've got to understand some things here, all right? They didn't have Facebook. Je- Peter didn't get on Facebook or send out a tweet and say, Jesus, heal my mother-in-law. Come to the house and he'll heal you too. Didn't do that. There wasn't the news. ABC 7 didn't show up. We're live here at the synagogue in Capernaum this morning, and Jesus just cast out a devil. And Jesus is doing all these things. Come see Jesus. They had none of those things. When people left the synagogue that day, this is what Jesus just did. And Jesus did that, and then they would go and tell, the whole city of Capernaum knew what Jesus did. His news had spread abroad. And may I just help you out? They weren't coming to Jesus because they knew they could find forgiveness of their sins. They were looking to see what they could get from Jesus. We see that over and over again in the Gospels. Because when he started preaching the Gospel and when it got a little hard for them, many went back home. Because they liked the miracles. They liked being healed. They liked all those things. But when we look at this passage and we think about it, we see that the Bible tells us here it says, And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. The word followed has the idea of pursuing earnestly as when hunting. Where did he go? You know, they were all sleeping. They woke up. Hey, Jesus, the people are going to be here soon. They're gonna, they want to meet with you. Where's Jesus? He's gone. They go searching everywhere they can to find him. We keep on reading here, and the Bible even tells us in Luke four forty two says, "And the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him; they should not depart from them." The idea is that they think that Jesus is making a big mistake by not just staying with them. Don't go! You're going to go apart and do something? No, stay right here. What are you doing? What are you thinking? That's the sense of what the disciples were saying here, and we see it in verse thirty-seven. You know, it's like they were, you know, hey Jesus, stick with us. Hey, selfie with Jesus time. Hey, you come to the house, come get a selfie with Jesus. Things like that. He was popular. The people all he was a celebrity in those days. And we see in verse thirty-seven there it says, and when they found him, they said to him, all men seek for thee. Why are you out here all alone, when everybody wants to see you? What are you doing? That's what the disciples are saying right here. And we live in a culture very similar today as that thought right there. We admire the popular people simply because they're popular. Their lives might be worse than the devil himself in the way that they live, but they're popular so everybody loves them. Or the celebrities, I I love the celebrity. Do you want the life they have? You might like the money for a little bit of time, but look at the, me- the mess that they live in and all those things. But we, get, but we look at this, we celebrate the famous just simply because they're famous. The disciples like the fact that Jesus was admired by these people here, but you know, Jesus didn't care about the popularity. He was concerned about being faithful to his God. What's important to you today? Do you want to be popular with man? or do you want to be found faithful before god no i don't want a popular church i don't i don't want this place to ever be known as a popular church i want this church to be known as a church that's faithful to preach the truth of god's word you know you look and through covid and things you and i'm not i'm not i don't know the hearts of people and i'm not to judge anyone and what they do But there are some people that are just so... loud. Our church is open, bless God! You don't have to proclaim it for the whole world to know. Let Jesus see you. Because you can get your reward by men if you want. Or you can let Jesus see you, be faithful to him, and he'll take care of you and reward you. But that's how things go sometimes. What's more important to you, popularity? Or faithfulness? Hey, are you worried about always fitting in? Oh, I don't fit in with, I got to do this and I got to do that. Are you always worried about fitting in? You shouldn't be worried about fitting in. You should be worried about being faithful to Him. I'd much rather be faithful to Him than fit in with everybody else. If you can do both, more power to you, but it doesn't always work out that way. Would you rather be popular or persevere in your faith? Will you stay committed to God or will you fold to the culture around you? Hey, stamp your life with faithfulness, not popularity. So the first two things, start your day with prayer. Stamp your life with faithfulness, not popularity. Number three, strategize to reach other places. The disciple said, Jesus, what are you doing? All men seek for you. We got to get back. Capernaum's a big city. There's a lot of people there waiting for you. What does jesus say to them look at the next verse and he said to them let us go into the next towns hey but jesus there's all these people those other towns are small they're just little villages why are we going to go there they said oh they're important too i've been here in capernaum they've heard me it's time to go on to the next place we see it says there let's go into the next towns i may preach there also for therefore came i forth why jesus come to jesus come for the miracles no, he came to preach the gospel. We look at this. The disciples were expecting Jesus just to go back to Capernaum. There's all people looking for you. As I mentioned, their motives weren't right. And Jesus said, no, we're not going back. We're going to the next town, the next towns. That's the whole reason I came. Do you realize around Capernaum, I mentioned a second ago, but there were a lot of small towns around Capernaum. Nothing like the big city Capernaum. You would say you grew up kind of in the country or in a small town. How many of you grew up in a small town? Okay, Albert, how big was the town you grew up in? How how big was the town you grew up in? Three thousand. I would say growing up, I felt my town was small. Wildemar, it's about forty-five minutes from here, between Lake Elsinore and Marietta. When I was a kid, there was a thousand people that lived in the city. Now there's thirty thousand, but when I was a kid, it was one thousand. So I felt that was a small city. Um, Allison, how big was your city? 6,000. All these cities are bigger than the granddaddy small city that I know and love of Mazeppa, Minnesota. So how many of you besides the Osgood thing in the room actually know of Mazeppa, Minnesota and could tell me where it's located? In Minnesota. <laughs> it is about 30 minutes north east, a little bit, of Rochester. I went there for the first time when I was dating Caroline, and it literally is in the middle of nowhere. You're driving through all these fields, and I thought they were going to kill me out there or something. And you finally get down into civilization, and you get to the little town, and you cross this bridge, and right before the bridge, there's a sign, and it said, Mazepa. Population 748. That's what's... I went through the city. Now you got to understand something. Caroline and Matthew, their house, they had 15 in their house. And half of them were already gone, so the town had lost a third of its population almost. <laughs> but small city is so much different than big city. You know, the big grocery store in Mazeppa was the Greenway, or the... Yeah, the Greenway, and you had a little... The, the gas station, that was the big thing. What do you do in a small city? I remember, I thought Wildemar was small. Nothing compared to Mazeppa. I remember we th- were going to go watch a parade in Minnesota. And I'm like, all right, we're going to watch, you know, parades. I think of the Rose Parade and things like that, right? No joke. I'm being completely serious. I was blown away. The third vehicle in the parade was the trash truck why would you put a trash truck in a parade they threw good candy and they i've never seen a trash truck so clean in my life the one time a year they cleaned the truck was just for the parade and i'm like this is a parade wow i'm still it's i'm blown even thinking about it i've never seen a parade quite like that small cities know how to put it together but I will I will hand it to Mazeppa, okay? They have this thing right around Fourth of July, they call it Mazeppa Days. And after watching the parade, they're like, oh, there's a fireworks display, and all this. I'm like, oh yeah, there's some little there's one guy running down the street with a sparkler in his hand. <laughs> and that's and that's the that's the fireworks show. But in all honesty, the fireworks show is one of the best ones I've seen. The little city knew how to do that. But it's quite the city, quite the city. So If you ever get a chance, go to Mazepa. Actually, I think, yeah, go to Mazepa and watch the parade. And uh, downtown, it's such a busy place. There's probably two people that walk through downtown Mazepa every day. They live there, you know, 13 kids. How do they, they can't get in trouble. There's nothing to do there. They have a little river they can go look at or get muddy and That's about the only thing you can do. And everyone knows everyone, basically. And, you know, and, you know, anyways, but small city. How I got off on all that, I don't know, but I got off on all that. But I'm glad that Jesus was concerned about a small city like Mazeppa, just he would be concerned about L.A. Because it doesn't matter if there's 4 million people or 748, all people matter to Jesus. And that's how he lived his life. He wasn't concerned, oh, I can have the big crowds here. I'm only going to have a few people here. It wasn't about the crowds. It was about the message that he had. And we need to strategize to reach other places. Jesus said that's the whole reason he came forth, was to do this. Jesus cares for every community because he loves every life. When we think about this, and Oswald Smith wrote this, he said, no one has the right to hear the gospel twice while there remains someone who hasn't heard it once. Paul communicates his passion for the gospel in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 16. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hands. Paul says, i got to preach the gospel beyond. It needs to get everywhere. The small places, the big places, whatever the case may be. And I love the fact that in this verse that Jesus told the disciples, hey, let let us go. We're co-laborers together with Christ in this thing. What a blessing that is. He does the work but he does his work through us today. Praise God for that. And our mission should be to preach the gospel in all places and reach all people. We're to prioritize a place of prayer and preach in all places. And to Jesus, this wasn't optional. This was his life. And uh, in Luke 4, um, 43, he said this, and he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities, for therefore I am... Am I sent? That's why we have 30 plus missionaries that we support. Because we're not just concerned about Chino or Ontario or Pomona or Chino Hills. We're concerned about Ghana, West Africa. We're concerned about Argentina. We're concerned about the world. That's our job. Jesus said, preach the gospel to every creature. That's what we're supposed to do. Jesus calls us to prioritize a place of prayer and to preach in all places, and that's why it's so important. You know, some people have said, Pastor, we, don't, we should just stop live streaming. Why? There's people who could be helped by that. But they should come to church. Well, there's some people that might not even, when this whole thing's ever, go to church. At least they can hear the gospel. Pastor, why do we do those outreaches where we have people come and we give them food so they can hear the gospel? That's Jesus's, that's what he wanted. I think Paul said it best, and I think some Baptists don't like this verse very well. But he tells us, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22 and 23, "...to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. For I am am made all things to all men." that i might by all means save some and this i do for the gospel's sake that i might be partaker thereof with you that was paul that's what he had to say the gospel's so important lastly this morning number 4 we need to stand stand on gospel preaching stand on gospel preaching This is what Jesus did. The end of verse 38 says, For therefore I came forth, and what did he come forth to do? Verse 39, And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and cast out devils. It's likely, we do not know how long this went on, how long this little tour of his preaching went on. It could have been weeks, months, but this went on for a while. But I want you to understand something. With Jesus, the message was more important than the miracles. Those in the first century, they were shallow, self-centered, and focused on the sensational. And they were only interested in Jesus if he could do something for them. That sounds like people have always been the same, doesn't it? Sounds like people today. But I want you to understand the message of the good news of Jesus Christ is more important than anything else. What did Paul say in Romans 1.16? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ... And there is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The gospel is the answer to the answer to everything today. We need the preaching of the gospel far too many churches and it saddens and it breaks my heart. We don't have more churches that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in case you're wondering this morning, in case you have any doubt, the gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the good news. That is the gospel. There's nothing added to it, nothing subtracted from it. It's all about Jesus. And you want to help your fellow neighbors around you today? They need the gospel today. You want to change America today? America needs the gospel. We don't need more red and blue. We need Jesus Christ and we need the gospel is what we need today. The gospel has the answer. The gospel is the answer. Man, we hear a lot of people today. Go get that vaccine. That's going to stop this pandemic so we can move on. Say, Pastor, where do you stand on the vaccine? If you want to ask me that question, you can ask me privately. I'm not I don't give that out publicly where I stand on it. You say, "Well, what what's right and what's wrong?" You figure out for yourself and you do what God leads you to do. Not my place to figure it out for you. But you hear people often, and they and they say, "We need to do it so everything can go back to normal." But then they say, "You do it, and you're still gonna have to wear a mask and still social distance till who knows when." They're not even fully effective but they say the answer to the pandemic is vaccines, 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 and they're trying to push vaccines down everyone's throat. And I'm not saying I'm for it or against it. Like I said, you want to know my opinion, you can talk to me later. With some of the work I do at the police department, they offered me, I can get it. So are you getting it or are you not? Like I said, you can talk to me later if you really care to find out. I'm really not that special, not really that important. But Five officers out of the 200 that have done it, five of them were off work for four days because they got sick after getting it. But then they are fine after that. But there's this big push, like a vaccine's going to save everything. I wish Christians would be as motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ as this world is about a vaccine. The best vaccine is only 90% effective. And at that, there's all these variants and mutants that are coming, and so it's only going to be like 50 or 60%. The gospel is 100% effective. Hey, the gospel took a sinner like me that was bound to hell, that was dead in my trespasses and sins, and the gospel took me, changed me, made me alive again, and I'm a new creature in Christ, and the gospel did that for you. And it works every single time. I wish we would get that Concern about the gospel as this world does about the things of this world. The gospel matters. You can have a beautiful building, nice carpet, nice chairs, but if you go to a church where the gospel is not preached, it's not a true church. The gospel is what matters, the gospel's important. Jesus calls us to prioritize a place for prayer and to preach in all places. I gave you four points this morning. Start your day with prayer. Stamp your life with faithfulness, not popularity. Strategize to reach other places and stand on gospel preaching. Here's what I think. This is Brian thinking, okay? I try to clarify that. I, when I preach, I try to stick 100% to the Bible. But if I ever go off on Brian thinking, i let you know Brian thinking. This is Brian thinking right now. This is Brian thinking, and hopefully, you understand it here. We prioritize what we care about. What matters to us, we do. I hear people say often things. Are you ready? This is one I hear I just don't have time. That's not true. You don't have time for something because it's not important enough for you to do. The other thing I hear I have no money. That's not normally true either because you have money for what you want to have money for. And we've got to prioritize better. Remember a while back, someone called me on the phone and said, Pastor, we're short for our bills and we, we need food. Pastor, could you, could you give us money for food? And I used to, you know, I do not give people cash because I don't know what they're going to do with cash. If, they're, if it's for food, I will sometimes get a gift card or I go with them. And, uh, and I'll do it that way. But they came to the church to get, to, get, um, to get it. And in their car, they had the biggest, most expensive Starbucks drink sitting right there in their car. Now, just hold on for a second. You're thinking that dirty. St-. Now, I didn't think that way. My thought was someone was nice to them and tried to bless them, and so someone else gave that to them. That's, you've you got to hope all things. You've got to hope, you got to th- try to think in the right way. Even though I hope that they wouldn't have done that, but you know, who knows. Or maybe they had a gift card and you can't use a Starbucks gift card to get food, I get that. But if you say you don't have, you know, I hear people often, they'll use the thing, I don't have money to give to God. If you can spend $6 on a bitter cup of beans from Starbucks, you can give money to the Lord and his work. You have what you want to have for, and I'm not. I like Starbucks. I, I get I get an iced coffee from there, and they put enough cream and stuff in there. It almost looks like milk. That's about the right flavor for me, and, uh, and but I, that's the cheapest one of the cheapest things. They're still three and a half dollars or whatever it is. And I'm not against you doing those things, but you claim you have no money or you have no time. At the end of the day, we have time and money for what we want to have it. I want to give you four thoughts, application points, and we'll be done this morning. Number one, have a quiet time every day with the Lord. Simply put, you will not grow if you do not develop the discipline of a daily time with God. New believers, when they come to the Lord and they come to our church, I've tried and done before, I go through a discipleship book with them. Does the the discipleship book is at the end all and the discipleship book really does a whole lot? It gives them some great principles. But the reason why I use the certain discipleship book I use is it tries to get you every day for 14 weeks to read your Bible and to pray a little bit how you develop a habit. A habit starts by doing something over. Again, you will not grow in your Christian life if you do not have time with God in the Word of God and time in prayer far too many Christians don't you see what's supposed to happen is this is supposed to be our lives and you take bible reading and prayer you put those in first put them in first have a quiet time with God bible tells us and you think about it you have to schedule it you have to put it in because this is what we do we schedule everything else like oh, I got a minute here a minute there. I I fit God in my schedule. But I've only got a minute. That's the wrong way to live. Put God first. Look at your day. I look at each each day for me is different. But each day I know for a fact by by the morning or late after or late morning, this is probably going to be my best time right here. And that I make sure God gets. Same thing I try to do at home. The kids go to bed at 8. Most days they're home. My goal is that after school, if I got to work and do things, by 5 or 6 before dinner I get home and I'm there from 5 to 8 and they get time with me. There are days that things come up and it doesn't quite happen that way and I got to make it up at other times. But if you don't plan for it, it won't happen a prayer life and a time in the word of god does not happen by accident it happens on purpose you must put those as a priority in your life bible tells us in psalm 143 verse number eight cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning for in thee do i trust cause me to know the way wherein i should walk for i lift up my soul unto thee when we dial in oh you think about this when you dial in with god you get your direction for the day we need that. When you leave this morning, there's, um, I'm going to have Matthew, my usher, will be at the back door with these when we're done this morning. And uh, I printed these off of online, and uh, a great preacher of yesteryear, uh, not that long ago, but Adrian Rogers, he was a man of God. He, um, he, in one of his sermons, he talked about the importance and just how to have a meaningful, quiet time with God. And technically, it says that there's a copyright on it and all of that, but it's allowed for personal use. I'm giving this to you to use personally in your life. I got his name on there. It's all there. But it goes through and it gives you proper period of time, the proper preparation, finding a proper place. He also gives, and one of the things I love the best, when you're getting into the Word of God, some things to meditate on, some questions to ask yourself. As you read, you know, do you just read to read so you can check a box and say you read your Bible for the day? He says, hey, let these questions go through your mind as you read the Bible. Is there a command to obey that I need to obey? Is there a promise that I can claim from these verses? Is there a sin that I need to avoid? Is there a lesson to be learned? Is there a new truth to carry with me through the day? So when you leave this morning, get a copy of this and look it over and let it be a help to you in your life. But have a quiet time every day with the Lord. Number two, interaction points. Decide to give locally and globally for the cause of the gospel. We make, you know, I don't, you know, some of you might have a 401k or you got all these different retirement plans and you invest in stocks and you do those different things. I don't know how all that works exactly, but you probably know it better than me. But there's no greater investment that you can make in this life than for eternity. Make eternity count. Give locally through your church. Give to missions. Those that reach the lost, give to them. Give so the gospel can go out. Because that was a priority that Jesus had. And then number three, strive to have one gospel conversation every day. If you could talk to one person every day about the gospel, say, Pastor, I'm not around a lot of people right now. We all get those phone calls all day long. Give the gospel to them. Give the gospel. Do the best you can. Strive to have one gospel conversation a day. Jesus said, that's the reason I came. Look for ways to talk about Christ with your family, your neighbors, your classmates, your coworkers. Do it. This is what we got to do, and this is what Jesus did. Let's pretend these ping pong balls are all spiritual things. Maybe going to church, maybe whatever it is, spending time with your family. Let's say there's some spiritual things. This is what we got to do with our lives. We put all of God's things and all the spiritual things first. You see what happens here? Now, watch what happens. So, all the spiritual things are here, and then watch what you can do. You can take everything else and add it. Look at that, it all fits. Things of God didn't fit in your life quite right because you didn't put them in the proper place. God and his things need to be first. Then you let life, you add life to that. When it comes to your schedule, put God first. After you put God first, then add everything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. This is how the Christian life is meant to be lived. See, it all fits. But then there might be a day where it doesn't all fit. The spiritual's already done. So maybe there's some pleasure that just doesn't fit for the day. That's how we need to live. Father, we thank you for the time that we've had this morning in your word. And we thank you for the priorities that you had in your life. We thank you so much that we can read about them and see them in the scriptures and apply them to our lives. Father, bless your people. Encourage them. Help them. Help us live for you. I pray that there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you as their Savior, that maybe today would be the day of their salvation. Do a work in each of our lives and our hearts. Help us to be focused on what truly matters to you.